Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm in Sydney today with Peter Zing, who's a, uh, a member of the transhumanist movement in Australia and also an innovation specialist in tax and automation. Uh, Peter, it's great great to meet you. Thanks for having me, Mike. I, uh, I follow your Twitter account with great interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of, sorry for the spam. Huh? Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I've been sort of thinking about over summer, um, I mean, most people take a sabbatical and they're kind of <laughs> just <laughs> enjoying the sunshine, but I've been trying to unpack a little bit in my mind at least about what the the real effect of artificial intelligence is going to have on the nature of jobs, whether we're going to see a loss of jobs, and yeah. and and I guess what it means for us as leaders. Yeah. Uh, this is an area you're doing quite a bit of work on at the moment, I know. Uh, so, what, what's your initial take of you know how companies are thinking about automation? You know. I think uh, a year and a half ago, everyone was really in on the hype, you know, Watson's going to take over the world, you know, we're not going to have any jobs. And I think right now, companies are starting to think specifics because they're over the hype and they're finding the use cases. Right. Uh, And in my background in corporate tax, which is looking at, okay, well, it's just tax returns. You're filling in forms, you've got people working long hours just filling in those databases. Right. And even if you're outsourcing to India, it's still human beings. Exactly more cheaply filling out those forms. Exactly. And it's getting more expensive over there. You know, I've got friends over there in India right now training up entire centers. But by the time they get back and over years as well, it's going to get more expensive. And what do they do when they come back? Right. So that's one of the fears he's got right now as well. Um, and you see that uh, the, the more that you push aside and kick, it, kick the can down, down the road, essentially, um, the more that companies are finding it harder to adapt. Um, what they can do is, since they're outsourcing it to India, They've already starting to document the existing processes, so that's right. something that companies aren't very good at the moment. Is actually having a sort of a streamlined process that's followable for new people. Um, but they're starting to do that. And the next step of that is looking at, you know, okay, we've got data in a clean format. We can run some analytics behind it, but then so what? So that's why, you know, that's where the AI can come in now. You can actually have a centralized database of all your documents, of all your advice that's ever gone out and all the tax returns that you've ever lodged. That's where the real insight is. And those are the quick wins that companies are seeking now. But is this just document retrieval? It's, you know, it's a simple, you can have knowledge management, right? So you can actually, okay, this is where all is stored right now. This is where everyone can centralize. Right, so you can actually find stuff on the internet. Yeah, exactly. And then there's sort of enterprise search. So someone might be able to have an internal Google of, of all the documents in an organization. And then finally, that's, that's sort of the layers towards cognitive because you need to have that strong base of you know, knowledge management, enterprise search. And I think IBM's starting to realize that now with the introduction of Watson Explorer and you've got you know, Microsoft SharePoint. So those are sort of enterprise search solutions which are then bringing in some natural language processing overlaying it. Why, why didn't Google for Enterprise just, why didn't they just win the internal company search? I would have thought that the logic of an external web page is exactly the same as the logic of an internal memo. <laughs> yeah, Google thinks big, right? They think, right. okay, look, you know, we're not going to help companies, we're going to have save the world. And I think they've never been very good at the enterprise level, which is why they're partnering with firms like PwC now to actually go to market together. And they've hired a whole bunch of uh, VPs from other you know, IBM companies as well. So they're looking against the enterprise, but they've never been really good at it. 
because it's never been that focus. So all these moonshots, they actually write a scale that level. But yeah, the focus is really important. Well, what it, it's sort of strange we're still thinking about the document, though, mm. you know, as, yeah. as, the, as the fundamental building block of doing work. I mean, you know, if you really believe in, um, I guess, digital transformation and the mm. kind of reinvention of companies, then the, the document's a human artifact. Yeah, that's right. I mean, everything, every document seems to be, you know, in its own, on its own island, right? Right. You know, you've got all these meta tags, great, but, you know, it's still isolated with that thing. And there are, it's kind of an inadequate description of a process that mm. could be defined maybe with the blockchain or, or defined yeah. digitally. Right? With smart contracts, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's sort of more down the track. But right now you know that you need to codify all existing processes and have that centralized document repository to evolve into a potential blockchain smart contract solution. Right. So companies are still going through that journey right now. And uh, what they're finding is, okay, we don't have our basics right. Some people just want to jump straight into AI because you can leapfrog the competition, as they say. Um, but yeah, they're finding it that that's actually not possible. <laughs> so, so once you have that established base of you know repository of you know uh, well-defined documents, and, mm. and you, you define some of your processes, what happens yeah. next? Then you come to okay, well, how does how do my users' internal you know staff use that information, or how does my how do my clients use that information? So the natural language piece comes in really well, and you know you see you know people are launching chatbots every day now to help them guide through standard questions. Yeah. So okay, well you solve one problem, that's out of the way, then you go to the next. It's still a very slow process to codify all that question answer sort of uh, solution. But you're moving towards a more natural language querying, and uh, that essentially brings up all the relevant information, and then summarizing that in right. one paragraph. So. These are all my references, and this is my summarized answer for your initial query. Right. So an example could be, you know, like give me the examples of all the contracts we've done in the past That's with, right. you know, um, cleaning companies. Yeah, exactly. And then there's a piece of advice on, you know, consolidation. I'm consolidating all my companies. What are the income tax implications of that? And this is all the advice I've received from all these different jurisdictions. Now it's all part of a whole. And, you know, a, a global tax manager would be able to understand, okay, well, this is where we sit, this is where the gaps are, this is where I need to seek additional advice. And uh, having that dashboard, this, you know, God view of, of everything, it really helps. Yeah. That's where the use case I, I, I interviewed, um, you know, the head of legal operations at Google. Yeah. And um, it was really interesting because she was saying that they'd done just that. You know, mm. they'd, they'd actually started to spend a lot of money on infrastructure to support all of the disparate advice they're getting around the world. Yeah. But in, in order to do that, they realized the, the biggest hurdle was actually the um, advice providers. Yes. Like right. they were actually inefficient on their, their end. They yeah, had to yeah. upgrade their systems, the way they were delivering um, yeah. the, the information. And that's a multifaceted issue. You know, one, you've got, okay, what's in it for me? Why would I you know, contribute to a repository when it's my IP? Right? Yeah. And secondly, well, you don't want to get it reviewed by your peers just in case you're potentially wrong as well. So there's also that sort of potential issue. Well, even the that. advice providers themselves don't have a central <laughs> repository of their own advice. Exactly. Right? So think about the risk mitigation side of things as well for an organization that doesn't know yeah. what's going out by their own staff. So I think uh, people are starting to look at that now through centralized email systems. So they're actually picking out where the risky uh, staff are potentially. So when you're analyzing the emails that go out, uh, potentially look at that's a wrong advice. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You can alert that to it. But, you know, there's another question here that I think it's interesting to kick around, which is what is work? Yes. Um, 
I mean, it feels like, and you know, we, we had a similar background mm. uh, in terms of education, and, yes. and, and we probably did similar things at, at <laughs> certain points. And it felt like most of my life was actually just living in an Excel spreadsheet. Yes. Like Excel, like the, the table was the dominant metaphor of 20th century work, you yeah. know, manipulating <laughs> right. stuff in cells. And, you know, <laughs> people who really love Excel, it's almost like they could build their own vision of reality and stuff. Yeah, that. that's right. It's like a mini <laughs> Minecraft on a ship. Yeah, it was like, it was, it was, right. You're right. It was like, it was kind of like financial Minecraft. And, <laughs> and of course, people would often get lost in that. Mm. Um, and it, it would take a smart manager to actually see through all the rubbish and see that the assumptions yeah. were complete. That's right. You know, that's right. Nonsense. It's but, sort of like a design mindset, you know, people that are trying to quit themselves with so that they can use whiteboards instead of being, you know, so... So, so tied to the spreadsheet. To that, yeah. but, but, you know, I guess there is a design aspect, but there's also another aspect. If we're going to a world where you have, you know, real-time information, machine learning, AI, mm. making the decisions, what what does work then look like? Because yeah. Excel is meaningless, right? That's right. So, well, people say, you know, the future is, you know, thinking about the strategy, how these facts and, you know, all the data sets that you're getting in, how does that then translate into the corporate strategy? And uh, they think the computers aren't there yet, you know, in terms of moving, but I'm sure we'll get there one day. It's but but that, that, right that still feels like the, the logical end result of a, a, a computer that can beat you know the world's best go mm. champion probably yeah. can handle the exactly. mundane questions exactly. of strategy that we're talking about yeah here. there's so many just combine that combination having that perfect information in many layers yeah. so you know when you do go to that extent then it's like well, what's the point of working and you know you're seeing people talk about uh, universal basic income in the world economic forum it's like becoming a mainstream issue and that's one of the things that we were actually trying to set up in australia right. about a year ago we've been having meetup groups and joining those and uh, <laughs> and talking about okay how do we actually make this work yeah, let's let's spreadsheet this out right <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure we have it here isn't it called an art subsidy yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> i know right uh, and then there's all this debate about how much is enough for now and how much is feasible but when you think about all this economic rent that goes around so when you get to a point where all the ip is generating the income and people you know don't miss it, there's going to be a huge disparity between the people yeah, that like own the, the ip and people that own the own the right. machines right and every company you know if they got the right strategy or you know listening to all the consulting firms they're all looking at 2020 as the year in which they start making revenues from ip independent of human workers right and and that's sort of the general shift of all corporations now you know, yeah. they all want to be the next platform and they keep using that uber and Airbnb example but you know they just well i mean they, they, i mean and this is the great funny thing about relocating jobs back to companies uh, yeah. to countries because yeah. ultimately it doesn't matter where the com- the company exists right. because it's it, it automation is the bigger story yeah and it's funny hearing trump talking about okay let's bring back the manufacturing jobs but you know you're actually looking at robots doing all the work now so yeah. it's like okay great you brought all back the jobs but then you brought, you the, brought the robots back yeah exactly but, but let's you know before i guess before we sort of roll over and just say like give everyone a basic income right because <laughs> i mean to me the there is a big slice of the economy who are doing service jobs mm. driving trucks um stacking boxes in warehouses yeah that are making iPhones that are at risk. But but I'm kind of fascinated by this middle segment of the professional. Mm. You know, like I said, that we're talking for the people who are on Excel, doing analysis, yeah. you know, because these are the people who I think are gonna have to learn a new skill. And, yeah. and I just don't know what that is. Like, I mean, if machine learning becomes the dominant 
way that we empower machines to make decisions for mm. ourselves. Yeah. What's what's Excel? I mean, yeah, is, exactly. it, is, is, it, is it TensorFlow or I mean, <laughs> like, what is it? Well, it might not even be TensorFlow because they're programming AI to generate new code, right? So well, well, yeah, right. So I mean, but it kind of feels like there is a there is an activity and a tool and a skill set that's yeah. going to exist because mm. I I don't think we're all just going to not have jobs. But yeah, yeah. Do, do you have any? I mean, you must I be see, seeing a bit of it now, see, looking yeah, at automation. That's right. I mean, change management roles are actually appearing everywhere because right. you know once you streamline the the processes we talked about, you know, not just from outsourcing but to automating those processes. How do you then retrain those employees uh, that have been put out of job? Okay, so how do you enhance their roles and add value? And some people might not be up for that because you know they actually enjoy doing the mundane tasks that, that they're doing day to day. And it's like, imagine trying to retrain a truck driver to do something else that's more creative, something that's, <laughs> you know, more, I mean, they could be very well suited for it, but I guess, you know, it's gonna be a very it's hard be task. task. Yeah, I think you're right. Especially in the time frames that we're talking about, because it could be the case that by the time they've retrained into that new skill set, mm. the pace of change has, has accelerated so much that that new skill set is no longer relevant. Well, I mean, let's take tax as an example. I mean, because yeah. this is an area, it's one of the first areas where I guess automation is going to make a big impact. Yeah. So you've got a 21st century, you know, tax team. You've <laughs> got, you know, no more tax returns. You've got mm. direct links between governments and, and corporations. Mm. Um, what are the people now doing in that, in that yeah. area? They're starting to create a new source of revenue, and that's sort of like a, a tax transformation or finance transformation. So they're helping other clients do that sort of outsourcing, centralized, streamlining their processes for tax. Right. So that's stepping up the tax function almost. And instead of talking to tax managers who might not have the budgets that we're talking about in sort of general consulting gigs, they're moving up to the, the board level, the CFOs, and talking about risk management and cash flow realization, right? <laughs> so they're, they're talking themselves up and actually, you know, be more relevant in a, in a fast-changing world, especially when the sort of work that they are doing existing are starting to be codified day and day. Right. So they're, they're still, in a way, doing themselves out of a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, Post-transformation, what, what, what's your sense of who's left? <laughs> it's true. Look, uh, I think... It's, it's still debatable whether the governments will catch up because governments are still making right. out the laws, that's still changing, but to the point that they could potentially uh, design those laws so that it can be followed by a machine because that would be the, the optimal outcome. So it reduces the complexity that everyone has. Um, before that happens, well, the tax function is you know really trying to generate more revenue. And I think at the end of the day, the clients who are making decisions might not necessarily turn to robots to make those decisions themselves. So there's still a good transition period where relationships matter a lot. Right. And building those relationships, your BDM roles will become more and more prevalent. Right. So, so I mean, I, I mean, th there was a whole group of people who, in a sense, were interpreting and executing the rules. And then there was a whole group of people who were, I guess, dealing with the political issues of what mm. those rules should be. That's right. And, that's I, and I think, if anything, in this new world, the execution gets handled by machines, but the politics mm. doesn't go away. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, you still got to deal with populism, and you still got to deal with. Okay, if you look at the legislation these days, there's a subsection that deals with farmers. You know, in a particular state, in a particular block. Right. So, you know, these deals are still happening because you know, at the end of the day, politics is still a human resource. <laughs> this is so. this is this is actually really interesting because I mean, you know, people often say that the one thing humans will always do better machine is deal with other humans. Mm. Um, but that isn't just about emotional support. That is 
that is about prioritization and politics yes. and you know yeah. strategy in that sense yeah, human yeah. strategy yeah. and game theory right? yeah, that's right. and you're seeing um, there's been I think a push for yeah and on the politics side um, we've been trying to uh, look at our approach to politics as well I mean I've looked at places in such as the science party where they're trying to use evidence-based policies so instead <laughs> of just you know okay, dealing with all the populism let's look at the facts right? use a scientific approach to it right and um, and actually apply it and I think that's very hard to communicate because you know when you're talking about trying to win an election it's not about the facts it's about the emotions um, and and we've been finding it very difficult you know to, to communicate that knowledge I mean, we're trying to use people like science popularizers to, to in fact, you know, the Michio Kaku's of the yeah. of the world. You know, I think he does it really well. But we're trying to find that way to communicate it to a, the, the the mainstream in Australia. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, trying to codify that rule would be really good to do. Huh. No, that, that's really interesting, and 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 I think it's worth, I guess, thinking about what, you know, what's ultimately possible. Um, in terms of what the future state is going to be, even though it's going, to, we know it's going to take people a long time to get there. Yeah, that's right. And and, and 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 what's happening now with blockchain and smart contracts and mm. essentially reinventing what a company might be. Yeah, exactly. Um, essentially, it's run by software. Yeah. Decentralized autonomous organizations. Yeah, right? I mean, you eventually you have a decentralized autonomous nation state. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Estonia is experimenting yeah, with that a little that's bit. Right. Right? That's uh, right. That's right. I was always amazed at that fact that babies in Estonia are, are given a digital identity before they're given a name. <laughs> That's right. Imagine them going to any other country and seeing the processes there. Right. right. I mean, because, like, you know, <laughs> talking of tax, I think it takes, on average, three minutes to file your tax return every mm. year in Estonia. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Not great for tax advisors, though. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, being able to get used to that sort of society then spreading that out to the rest of the world, I think it's a, it's a good way to start. Well, what's, what's your take on what blockchain, you know, where, where it's likely to be significant for companies and governments beyond currency? Mm. Yeah, definitely around politics. So I think um, if we can actually bring it about, uh, the decentralized you know, governments, that'd be fantastic. And I think a lot of the companies have gone through the same hype cycle now, um, right. just, just trying to find the use cases. I mean, I've got a friend that's actually trying to find a way to reduce uh, piracy in, in films making sure that there's a blockchain right in the background for every film huh. and you can actually see the watermark you know within the code um, and I think clients are actually understanding how hard it is to, to get everyone together on a single platform that's why I think it takes um, uh, all the players for example in the financial services industry to come together and right. create their own blockchain essentially um, having those you know, use cases in agriculture for example selling the trades of different commodities I think that's a great start but I think trying to expand that to more and more players in the ecosystem is going to be a challenge. Yeah. And it does take a monopoly such as a government to actually implement something like that. Right. And do, do you think that is, I mean, do you think that's what governments should be doing? Like I, I, I know, you know, years ago when I went to South Korea for the first time, mm -hmm. I was always amazed that most of the big jumps there in terms of, you know, mobile broadband, even RFID, mm -hmm. uh, were because the government just said, we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, And it does face its challenges when you see the private um, side of things trying to organize it themselves. You look at Ethereum, you always have, you know, these these other players that, you know, can, can see the bugs and then they can actually go in and change the whole system. Yeah, and, so, the, and the, the, the DAO, right? That's you know, right. The, yeah, exactly. That was yeah. fascinating, that. Yeah. We, we, we were following that? Yeah, exactly. We were, we were having meetups as well around Ethereum and we had the, the local you know, experts here talking. How, how does Ethereum work? It does. Uh, it's it's uh, essentially like uh, Bitcoin but with a smart contract embedded into it and it's uh, actually less um, 
less uh, sort of takes uh, less burdensome on the system when they're processing transactions. Right. Because some Bitcoin's about a thousand dollars per transaction at the moment, I think, and Ethereum. Uh, so and is it just a, that's just a function of usage, though, isn't yeah, it? Essentially, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, how how what was its vulnerability like? Uh, I think it's in the code. So you know, having not having too much peer review in you know, as a sort of like a self-regulating ecosystem. Right. Um, essentially, you could uh, this is what someone did. Essentially, looked at the code and say, okay, well, if I put in this and transfer all the coins to me, that's actually you know doable in the system. Right. So you did. <laughs> but but I mean I mean you know people said that was a failure, but that's no different to you know someone finding a loophole in a contract. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't say that, that that contracts aren't, aren't a viable means of doing business. That's right. If the rules are essentially the law, then he was abiding by the law. Right. Yeah. And, and and I guess we're going to need to go through some um, painful teething processes yeah. as people figure out how to design a smart contract yeah, platform. Right? Exactly. I mean, if they started smaller, and you know, it would have just been a learning. Uh, so everyone would have been happy with that because they're making progress. Yeah. Because it was so big, you know, hundred million dollars in assets. So, you know, that was the consequence of the fallout. But I think um, people are going to you know, have multiple attempts at this. There's so many you know, cryptocurrencies out there, um, and uh, one day one of these guys will going to crack it. Yeah, I mean, it 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 feels like, I mean, the world that we're we've constructed now, where we have. Uh, when you do a deal with someone, there's so much complexity around creating a contract, mm. you know, most of which is in language that both parties can't understand. Yeah, that's right. And you've got intermediaries who are pretending they're not just copying and pasting their <laughs> yeah, boilerplate exactly. contracts that they're creating that's something. Right. They're not. So, and then that goes into a system mm. which people then can't find the document. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I think the transition phase now is okay, well, let's use a natural language processing tool. With a natural language agreement. Um, exactly, with a natural language agreement, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what contracts you feed in, it'll understand the terms and what to look out for, yeah. and it'll get the gist of the contract, and I'll say, okay, well, you, don't, you need to look at this bit, this bit, uh, because it's an exception to the standard, yeah. and that'll help people review it. But before, you know, the, the full-blown automation aside, that's the only solution. Well, it, it, I think one area where this will be really interesting is when you're dealing with... Um, lots of different variables and scenarios yeah. you know like if grain prices do something mm. um, uh, which is essentially how the financial work yeah, I mean the right. whole financial system is built on if you know, then else rules, yeah, yeah if then else <laughs> rules right so it's it, it, it's a question of for those kinds of situations you it would actually be quite productive to be able to sit down with the people you're dealing with and map mm. out yeah um, you know how, how do we want the relationship to look yeah, exactly. as a series of rules uh, there's those process management people are gonna yeah see I think that's the next boom you know having lots of uh, process mapping jobs out there <laughs> why explain like it, because it, yeah it does take uh, a dedicated resource to actually um, come into people's sort of existing environments because you know the people that are working on those processes aren't gonna be doing it themselves they got their own utilization rates and things like that so right. they won't have the time or incentive to do it so you hire a third party to come in to actually understand it and where the efficiencies are, inefficiencies, map it out. So you're seeing a lot of these, you know, I guess they call it streamlining teams right. coming into existence. And, and, and this is being done as a prelude to outsourcing often, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And now you're saying, okay, well, where do we bring robotic process automation to, you know, auto-clicks? How do you generate macros or use more advanced robotic software? Yeah, I, I actually had on the show a while back a, a guy who is from a company, a company called Automation Anywhere. Yeah. And essentially they're just replacing a human being's <laughs> terminal. That's right. They're not changing the process. They're, mm. they're just 
putting in a, a, a virtual FTE. Yeah, exactly. You know, clicking a lodge button, you know, a thousand times a year, you know, nobody would actually want to do that either. But, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are, you have to be really strict rules though for that sort of thing. You're seeing, you know, Blue Prism and others are trying to code in more advanced rules. So more understanding the natural language of what you're looking at. Again, where we have a confidence level of what to do. That's also your building blocks towards a, a cognitive future around that IBM would say. And, and what is the cognitive future? Is that just when you essentially run machine learning over the top of those human mm. processes? Yeah, exactly. First, it's following the rules. Then you can actually give it uh, some decision-making, like if-then-else rules. And then thirdly is actually understanding, having a confidence level of where decision should be made right and this is and then then it's then it's following its own rules essentially yeah, i mean exactly. this is like that interesting story where google translate was essentially creating its own bridge language yeah that's right, right? <laughs> i mean that medium exactly. right because it's sort of yeah. gone beyond the 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 the, 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 the mapping and, yeah. and our, our our attempt to understand mm. the the kind of the semantics of language to creating its own yeah exactly uh, there's something beautiful about that you know saying that yeah you know, all human language has a common layer you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, this, this is ultimately the uh sort of the pre-tower of babel universal language yeah, exactly. as understood by a machine yeah exactly yeah, um, so you know, as someone who's sort of uh, part of the transhumanist movement, are you mm. are you sort of part of the singularity idea as well? Are you hope yeah, to upload yourself. Yeah, exactly. That is the dream, right? So you know, we're trying to actually do this you know, health span escape velocity, which is trying to live long enough to live forever. And uh, you know, I think it does have an impact on your daily health decisions. <laughs> you know, you, you want to make it, and uh, you know, I think have you have you changed your personal habits? Yeah, definitely. You know, you're always sort of constantly thinking about it. Now, I guess it's uh, not very good for your mental state, but it right. sort of does sort of influence you to what have you what healthy. have you changed on a personal basis uh, like i didn't used to exercise every day i didn't used to you know worry too much about my drinking my eating so uh yeah now it's actually having that daily conscious what and um uh, and also having a community that actually thinks like that as well you know because so surround yourself with like-minded people and then right. they encourage you to it's like an anti-aa yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> we need all of those <laughs> um what how what do you think how much longer do you have to live do you think to make that cut off like because yeah, it's not just, it's not just the invention the technology it's when it becomes economically available right? yeah that's because right. i'm sure jeff's gonna jeff bezos <laughs> is gonna yeah. have access to a long before he we wants do that and i think you know guys like yeah. um yeah a lot of those uh, billionaires will be the litmus test right, right. but i think um it, it's it's when we get to a point where every year that you live you essentially get a year back that's that's the escape velocity point and you know this it's it's hard to say and people like uh, Aubrey de gray are saying it's potentially people that are in their 20s and 30s now that will have that opportunity so uh you know if if the funding funding uh, current funding environment continues and you're seeing you know peter Thiel becoming an economic advisor for trump so i think that's uh, that's something right it's a silver lining to, to what's happened yeah um you know more less stringent fda rules in the u.s and and more billionaires been aware of this so i think as soon as you make this concept uh, more real rather than just you know, pipe dreams and, and magic. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you say, okay, this is actually a possibility, people are actually going to start demanding it, uh, both uh, from a political side as well as from the private funding side. I've often thought about what the economic implications of a sort of a post-mortal society looks like. Yeah. It, it, it's, 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 it's terrifying on so many levels because, yeah. you know, um, 
it changes the way we think about wealth yeah, and, 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 and it's, it's sort of people not living forever resets the system in quite a convenient way yeah, that's right you know you do just hand down to the rest of society right yeah and you know you still have you know billionaires that are giving you know a, a big percentage of their wealth right because you know, they know they're going to die right? exactly yeah so if they don't then <laughs> it, it, it's it, it's it's interesting if you've got that effect of um automation and artificial intelligence compounding the I guess the the capital that the wealthy control plus yeah. they can live forever that's right and also, also their opinions about the world their, their worldviews essentially that yeah. continues with them and until they can have some sort of augmentation where they can have the, the perspective of others in the world well th- this is the thing you don't have to worry about the robot revolution I mean the, the rich human revolution is far yeah. more terrifying yeah exactly <laughs> the rich transhumans right, right. <laughs> yeah. no I think um, and yeah I think that's one of the biggest risk factors so you know from a from political policy side you would actually try to think of ways to make that available to everyone so if it's you know almost a human right to, to live yeah, with the health span escape velocity right yeah um, and you know people talking about okay what about you know overpopulation and those sort of concerns um, you know there's examples like in Japan where people are essentially having a negative growth rate in population because you know one they know that they're advanced enough that um, they're well enough to not to not worry about those sort of things I mean economically they know they're better off without kids right? yeah. and also that um, they're probably falling in love with uh, you know more robotics and things like that <laughs> Japan's, Japan's always fascinated me in that respect I mean they I mean so much of the robotics industry there I think is fueled by this almost childlike wonder about robots, yeah, right. but but also in the sense that they need someone to look after them when they get old. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I think robots actually are the children of of twenty first century exactly. Japanese elderly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so embedded in their culture, right? In right. in the anime, in the manga, and things like that. So I think what they're trying to do is actually okay. Well, if we don't have a growing workforce, then we actually do have a drive to build these robots and. Yeah, it's actually an economic need from their side. Yeah. If that can spread to the rest of the world, we'll see a lot more innovation that way. Do, do, you, do you actually think the, these innovations will be concentrated in a few key countries? Like, is this going to be basically, you know, Japan, China, uh, the United States? Uh, or, or do you think that smaller countries like Australia are going to be able to be able to play on this this yeah. stage? I think it's yeah. Australia is getting better, and you know, we're, we're, you know, the government's coming around to it, and, and we're actually creating those meccas and trying to create our own ecosystem here. And then, and until we can solve uh, things like you know the, the full haptic VR experience, we're, we're still going to be sort of centralized towards these um, central hubs of yes. innovation, right? Um, but yeah, I think. I think in the in the long term, that's where we could potentially be, where we can activate, you know, the the intelligence of the world. But for now, I think those those major cities are still playing the key. That's where all the capital is sitting. That's where all the talent is moving towards. Um, you know, the property prices are probably making it less and less, you know, accessible. But look at Sydney, right? It's just almost yeah. equally bad. <laughs> I say with Melbourne, I say. <laughs> well, Peter, it's been really great meeting you. It's fantastic having you on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks very much. Cheers. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.